Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay warm at the Horseshoe this season. Score an exclusive, officially licensed Ohio State scarf when you subscribe to the Columbus Dispatch. Get the planet's best Buckeye coverage, award-winning reporting, and one amazingly cozy scarf by subscribing at dispatch.com slash scarf. This promotion is licensed by the Ohio State University. Trademarks used with permission. Columbus is growing. Here at the Dispatch, we wanted to take a step back and look at what all this growth means. This program will explore the future of Columbus and Central Ohio. This is What's Next. Welcome back to another episode of the CBUS Next podcast, where we explore the future of Columbus. I'm Michelle Everhart, Digital News Editor at the Dispatch. So far, we've discussed the identity of Columbus, the future of transportation, immigration, among other things. So I'm back with reporters Rick Ruan and Mark Farencheck to talk a little bit about what you think the future of Columbus is going to look like. We've been asking you um, on Facebook, on Twitter on our cbusnext.com to let us know what you think Columbus is going to look like in 20 years. So far, we've heard from people on a variety of topics. One reader said, quote, it will surpass Chicago as the greatest city in the Midwest, which very positive, good things. While another person wrote, quote, the city will be financially bankrupt. Not so good. Um, some people are worried about what a growing population means, um, specifically as it relates to crime. Um, somebody said that that Columbus is going to be just another rude big city, that they moved here from Atlanta as crime and ridiculous traffic began to increase and that they plan on moving again because life is too short. Uh, the major theme, though, I will say from all of this feedback that we've seen is transportation. Yeah, so one reader wrote that a growing metropolis, which will unfortunately still underserve the public's mass transportation needs, Columbus will still be the largest city with no commuter rail of any kind, for reasons unknown to its citizens. And another wrote, I would love to see Columbus lead the charge with a burgeoning public transit movement occurring in second-tier cities around the U.S. America's rail and public transit is deplorable. Without a functioning and first-class rail and bus system, Columbus will never be a top-tier town or be taken seriously as a global entity. I think a lot of what this comes down to is people want to know when Columbus is going to get a train system. Um, It's funny, Rick and I were just out with some friends last week, and the first thing somebody asked me is, when is Columbus getting a train system? So what is the answer to that, and, and what is stopping us from getting that now? Well, I think the appropriate answer is uh, to just play the uh, Columbus light rail drinking game where <laughs> ever somebody says, when is Columbus going to get light rail, you take a drink so that you can forget that it's probably never going to happen at this point. Um, that seems completely appropriate, yes. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's uh, Mark can speak to this too, but it's something that's been talked about for decades at this point. Um, If it had been done decades ago, it would have cost millions of dollars. Now it'll probably cost billion, if not billions of dollars. And uh, where that money is going to come from is the biggest barrier and the biggest question uh, around whether Columbus will ever get some sort of commuter rail. Um, Seems unlikely. 
Yeah, at least anytime soon. Again, back in, in 2006, which is when Coda was talking about building a light rail line, they were thinking about running a line where it makes sense, straight north up to Polaris from downtown. The cost estimate then would have been about $640 million with ODOT, the Ohio Department of Transportation, pledging to pay a fourth of that and 50% to come from the federal government. Well, that's a decade ago. It's going to be a lot more to... Uh, it's going to cost a lot more now if uh, a plan ever came up like this, but there's nothing on the drawing board. Um, rail is expensive. Uh, you have to buy right away. Are you going to run it next to the north-south tracks that go up uh, I-71? You have to buy it or you have to get mm -hmm. the railroads to agree to let you use right. theirs. And the railroads will never allow. The, those tracks are way too busy right now. Right. So light rail would have to be separate. Um, how do you get into the town? Are you going to try to go underground? That costs, obviously, you know, a lot of money. Uh, Cincinnati has a streetcar system right now, and it, I haven't ridden it, but it looks kind of cool. I don't know what the ridership situation is like. They had talked about this, the streetcar line, at least the Coleman administration did, again, about a decade ago up High Street, and it didn't go anywhere. Um, it's it's going to take a lot of planning and a lot of money, and I don't know where they're going to find the money. It would have been nice to have done this years and years ago. Again, Cleveland has a light rail system, but that dates back to the 20s. Pittsburgh has a light rail system. That dates back a long, long time. So, um, again, it should have been done a long time ago. But as things get more congested here, crowded, it's going to be more and more difficult to do and more expensive. So if somebody wants to, you know, really do this, we've got to get on track now. Yeah, I think with the the money situation, so the the report that you cited from, I think, 2006 said ODOT and the federal government uh, would be the ones to foot the bill for this. That's not going to happen now. Um, uh, most of ODOT's money goes into um, keeping the highways um, in good shape, expanding the highway system. Uh, cars, the, the primary form of transportation, not just in Columbus, but throughout Ohio. And uh, you just don't see that kind of money available from the federal government at this point. I know L.A. got a, a bunch of money for an expansion of their rail system from the federal government, uh, but to, to start something wholly new, um, it, it seems very unlikely that we would get something from the federal government. So then you start to think about um, what are the other options, and uh, at the local level, it seems the, the most likely would be if voters were willing to pay for it. Um, you would have to levy some sort of tax to pay both for the, the the capital cost of creating the rail network and then uh, for the ongoing operations of it. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Can we rewind? And you've said that this discussion has happened over decades. Why didn't happen? Why didn't this happen 10, 20, 30 years ago? I just don't think, I mean, I don't think they got the money. I think they made some applications, right, yeah. to the federal government. Yeah. And I don't think it came through. Right. Um, Again, it, it makes sense now because traffic is getting so congested to run a line up to Polaris or to run a line down 670 to the airport. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of these things make sense. But again, better before than now. How do you do it now? It's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of money. And like Rick said, it's probably going to take some sort of a local tax to help pay for that. And that means the community's got to get on board countywide or regionally, too, since this could potentially benefit people in other counties. I mean, we pay for transit already through through a tax. I mean, that's how CODA is funded. I mean, they they have two uh, uh, taxes that that are on the um, the books right now. They they just got a renewal, and um, that. 
people are used to paying for transit through through the tax system now, but they're not used to paying for the capital cost of building something. Um, I think Coda generates maybe $120 million a year. Um, if we're talking about a billion-dollar system, that's that's a lot of money to, to come up with to, to build that thing. Right. It's um, Again, it, and I'm a train geek. I love trains. I love to ride, ride the subway in, in New York and Metro Washington and all that kind of stuff. However, um, it, it's costly. So you have, like in Cleveland, they have the uh, the health line that goes between downtown and University Circle. It's a bus line. It's a dedicated bus line along Euclid Avenue because I think they discussed a rail line, but it, it costs more to do that. Mm-hmm. And, again, they're talking about going up Cleveland Avenue here. Obviously. Yeah, that's going to happen. It, right. It'll be early next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with buses. But rail, again, if you want to go underground in the city, that's going to cost a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And just, again, think it, it costs the city a half a million dollars here just to fill in the vaults, the underground vaults here in the alleys right. uh, to, to make a lighting system work. Think about how much it would cost to dig underneath downtown Columbus if you wanted to have some semblance of a subway system or anything like that. I mean, and then if you talk about going above ground, then where do you go? Where do the trains go without tying up traffic even worse than it could be now it's a tough situation because we need a better mass transit system here definitely the city's going to continue to grow the region's going to continue to grow the freeway system cannot handle all this traffic but it's are, is the community willing to pay a lot of money for that? That's just it. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, too, just how much uh, some of the changes that are happening now with the, the current transit system ultimately affect uh, how many people are, are getting on buses. R- right now, uh, the the share of people who are taking the bus versus driving is so small. Um, but COTA is actually trying to do some things to make the system more Usable. So previously, you had to, if you were commuting from uh, Westerville to, um, say, Dublin, you would have to come all the way downtown, and then you would have to shoot out to, to Dublin. It's hub and spoke. You go to the center, you go back out. Now they're doing more of this crosstown stuff, so it's a little bit easier to, to get from A to B uh, without having to go to an intermediate point in between. So does that bring more people onto the, the bus network? Now the problem is it's a bus. It's right. sitting in traffic. It's going to be <laughs> relatively slow um, compared with, with a train. But if you can if you can start to incentivize people to uh, get on the bus in the, the first place, maybe you do start to see enough of a shift that starts to create a case for a bigger mass transit system in the future and talking about trains. Because right now, we don't really have any evidence to support the idea that people in Columbus are going to get on a train even right. if we had one. Right. I mean, that's just that there's, there's always been a very vocal group who want trains, and trains make sense. But Coda's ridership, right, it's, it's, you know, people still generally are going to drive around here. People say they want to take the bus or they want a bicycle, and more and more of that's happening. But um, are, are people willing to get behind something like this? Again, that's going to not only cost a lot of money, it's just going to take a lot of time to do this, too. So, you know, you start now, is it going to take five years, ten years to, to build out a system like this? Even if you started today, you know, we have no money today. How long is that going to take? And then... Are they planning a system that's going to work 15, 20 years from now? What's, you know, how many people are going to be here? Is it already going to be 
under capacity once you build it. It just takes a lot of planning and somebody really leadership has to say, we want to do this and here's the plan to do this. Will you get behind this? And nobody's, you know. And I think one thing that we have to make clear with this whole discussion is that um, smart cities is a, uh, it's all focused on transportation for the most part, but it does not have anything to do with creating a light rail system in Columbus. Um, I think there's been quite a bit of confusion uh, around that for for people that uh, they saw $50 million coming from the the federal government in Vulcan and they thought, oh, this is going to be uh, the the first uh, step toward Columbus getting light rail. That is not the case. Uh, Smart Cities is about testing intelligent transportation systems, looking at things that aren't really being done elsewhere and uh, figuring out what the pitfalls of of those are, how it can work, um, and, and they're they're sort of like concentrated experiments. They're not large scale transportation systems, and like we've said, um, the amount of money that it would require to do that, smart cities money is a drop in the bucket yeah. for that. Right. Yeah. Now, if not trains, then what what else could we look for to to help with the conge- congestion that we see in traffic? I mean, we've talked a little bit about the the driverless cars, but mm-hmm. I mean that. How close are we to that being a a mass option? Well, that's uh, nobody really knows how close we are um, to to that being a mass option. But most people believe that uh, electrification of vehicles is the the first step um, toward uh, getting to um, a, a massive system of autonomous cars, and more and more automakers are announcing dates by which they expect to stop producing internal combustion engine cars um, and and they'll only have electric cars. So I think probably over the the next five years, um, maybe a little bit farther out for for others, um, a lot of the automakers think that they'll only be producing electric cars at that point. So that's a step. I mean, that's one thing that we we have to look at. And then beyond that, um, there's a lot of stuff to work out with autonomous vehicles. I mean, it's happening. Um, you, you've seen intermediate steps. A lot of new cars now have, um, they're not completely autonomous, but they have the, the features um, that you see that are, you know, again, an intermediate step toward full autonomy. Um, but, I mean, we're likely, you have to figure, okay, we get to a point where all the cars are electric, and then we get to the point where they're actually producing autonomous cars, and they're um, sort of massively being adopted, and then you have all these other cars that have to be phased out over time. I drive a 2010 Impala, and I'm not planning to buy a new car anytime soon, so think about the people who are driving, you know, my old 96 Neon out there somewhere somewhere else, how long it takes to cycle out these cars. Um, we're a long way away from seeing a full system, you know, where 670... Uh, isn't a parking lot of people who are, right. you know, trying to, to move in the morning um, because they're all in autonomous cars and it moves as efficiently as possible. Right. It's, 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 it's trust of the system once something like that gets going. And also it's just a change in the culture where America is a car culture. We love cars. Um, I know there's a lot of discussion, again, about autonomous vehicles and, and less congestion on roads, but is it going to take a while for people to give up that feeling of independence that you have when you have kind of have a jump in your car in the driveway and you decide where to go? Congestion or not, I mean, it's frustrating to get around here right now from day to day at times, but nobody's bailing out of their cars by any stretch, big stretch of the imagination now. So 
that's down the road. But in the meantime, I mean, you know, they're they're doing all this work at the seventy seventy one split still to to try to improve that uh, to wind the road. They're winding two seventy on the west side where I live. Um, you know, there's there still has to be some sort of planning to deal with road capacity. So again, we're gonna have more people. So that's gonna mean more cars for the near future. Um, and then after that, if it comes to autonomous systems where people can again order up a car, get into it, go wherever they need to, and if they get once they get used to that, then maybe congestion will will decrease. But I still think that's a long time in the future. But soon enough, I mean, t- tomorrow we'll probably have personalized drones, right? Yeah. Like where you just have uh, something that comes down, descends from the sky into your front yard, and Correct. you just walk out your front door and get in that, and um, it'll actually be the realization of flying cars. Right. It can be the Jetsons, George Jetson. Right. Yes. Can, can they get me to my kids' soccer games faster than what it takes me now from downtown? Probably. <laughs> I mean, that probably wouldn't take yeah. much. I, I think we go the same direction on yeah. 670, yes. and... I mean, it is a nightmare on some nights. I mean, you cannot, um, you, you get on uh, right at 3rd Street there, and before you hit the, the Leonard Avenue exit, it is just a complete parking lot. You're just, you know, moving uh, a few feet at a time. And That's horrific just to get across downtown anymore with all mm-hmm. the construction and, and the traffic. It's it's just not It's just not easy, and I think... In general, Columbus has been, until recently, a, an easy city to get around. It's not, hasn't been that expensive to park downtown. Um, it, the, that's the joke, not, that's well, getting worse. Well, that's getting worse. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say, though. Yeah. For So we're starting to see a lot of bigger city problems. Mm-hmm. It used to be you could get anywhere around here in 20 minutes. Well, you can't do that anymore. No. So, But is, is that day-to-day frustration, or if it's every week, is that enough to get people out of their cars and into public transit or to demand that we need more public transit in different ways, whether it be more bus lines, bus lines in different places, or rail? And again, how much are you willing to pay to do that? The downtown parking uh, thing is going to be interesting to see how that really plays into transit. We've written uh, several stories over the last couple of years about um, this attempt to get downtown workers free bus passes. Um, the uh, Special Improvement District downtown, um, they, they've they been working on this plan for a long time. Um, they, they're looking for the, the funding to do it now, but if you can get a shift away from uh, people driving downtown, um, you know, what could that ultimately do for parking prices downtown and congestion and, and all of that? But you have to see some sort of large-scale adoption for it to really matter. Yeah. I mean, it, just so we, we discuss this a little bit, too, we don't even have intercity rail, too. You know, right. I mean, again, I think we're the second biggest city in the country behind Phoenix that doesn't have any kind of an Amtrak service. Now, some people debate, you know, whether or not Amtrak is a good way to, to move passengers. But ridership is pretty good, especially in the northeast and on the west coast in the Chicago area. It's another alternative that we don't have to get from one place to another. And, um, again, there hasn't been a lot of discussion about, about that either. Um, and maybe that should be in the discussion, too. If we're talking about local rail, we should be talking about inner city rail, too. And, uh, well, we're going we're gonna to move right past that into Hyperloop, right? Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's where uh, a lot of people, I think, are putting their, their hope, at least here, that um, the, the proposal to have uh, Hyperloop, um, for, for those who right. don't know, Elon Musk, uh, the head of Tesla and SpaceX, um, is pushing this idea of Hyperloop. It's uh, 
uh, super fast. You're, you're essentially in a tube and um, shot across the country. It would be between, at least for the proposal here in the Midwest, between Chicago and Columbus and then Columbus to Pittsburgh, where you would have 30 minutes, a uh, 30-minute ride from Columbus to either one of those cities. I mean, that's a complete game changer because right. even now, if you thought about putting Amtrak in uh, out of Columbus, um, it's just, I mean, it's relatively slow. Mm, very slow. Um, so, you know, how competitive is it with mm. driving in the Midwest? I, you know. Well, that's why rail service diet here. I mean, again, yep. when Ted Strickland tried to bring back uh, the idea of a rail line between Cincinnati and it's Cleveland. Way too slow. Way too slow. That's yep. why they died because... Yep. You can drive your car a lot quicker mm-hmm. and cheaper, too, than a train. Uh, so if you're going to have any kind of an inner-city rail service in the future, it has to be high-speed, right? Something like that. Right. What I think is interesting about the Hyperloop, if you think about it, if it really takes 30 minutes, then like potentially you and I could commute to work every day to Chicago or to Pittsburgh. Like it kind or of live cha- there and commute here. Yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah. it changes... The job market. It, it absolutely does. That was something that um, I talked with people about when we were doing our reporting for the uh, Future of Columbus stories, just about how that completely changes uh, how you define a regional economy. Yeah. Um, it's no longer the seven-county region of central Ohio. It's now the Midwest mm-hmm. is your economy at that point. Um it, it presents a lot of really interesting things. It also presents a lot of potentially scary things because um, you could see um, just your, your mm-hmm. workforce get sucked away yeah. by another city. Um, that That's probably a pretty scary prospect mm-hmm. for city. Right. And, but I would think, too, in some ways it could open up potential markets for other cities, especially struggling cities. For example, it's Toledo or Cleveland or other places that have lost a lot of population. But relative to Chicago, it's not expensive to live there. So if you're going to work in Chicago – and you have a way to get there relatively quickly, and you know how much it costs to live there, they're going to live somewhere where it's cheaper. But but what does it ultimately do to both the price to live in Chicago and mm-hmm. the price to live in Columbus? Don't sure. they don't they eventually like meet somewhere in the middle because you can you, you have more choices now. Correct. Like they're essentially, I mean. What it what is the difference between place A and place B other than the distance in between them? And when you shrink the distance in between them, they effectively become the same place. Right. Yeah. So that right. So that would have a major effect on real estate price. Absolutely. <laughs> well, gentlemen, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thanks so much for coming back in. Uh, next week, we're going to launch our second batch of stories in the series. We're going to be looking at the future of housing and neighborhoods in the area. And remember to let us know what you think by emailing us at cbusnext at dispatch.com using the hashtag cbusnext or going to cbusnext.com. Thanks a lot. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.